When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Talking One for the Team. I'm your host, Tom Kane, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to individuals from the sports and fitness industry and beyond. We'll talk to the experts in their field and aim to provide a 360-degree insight into their journey in the industry, find out what sports and fitness means to them and the impact it can have on mental health. I started this podcast on the back of a lot of time for self-reflection during the last year, full of lockdowns and the pandemic. One reflection I had was how sports and fitness had provided me with an amazing outlet for positivity after the loss of my father in 2015. In this episode, I'll be talking to Alfie Kane. Alfie was involved in the football academy system here in the UK with numerous clubs up until his late teens, and more recently played an integral part in the foundation of one of the world's largest grassroots football clubs, Rising Ballers. If you'd like to get in touch or offer some feedback on the pod, please feel free to reach out via our social media. The show's accounts can be found in the bio. But now... It's time for Talking One for the Team with Alfie Kane. Hello. Clapping cuz, how are we? Yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. Uh, we got there in the end. Yeah. A couple of tech in. issues, but but we're finally here. <laughs> the novices. Um, yeah. <laughs> how are you getting on? Yeah. How's, uh, how's lockdown treating you? It's all right, not too bad. I'm at drama school at the moment. So I'm busy. I'm busy. That's uh, We're on Zoom a lot of the time, but it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I still think I'm getting a lot out of it. I actually think it's kind of, in some ways, it's better. Sometimes it definitely helps being in the building, actually being there in person with the with the other actors. But there's there's still a lot to take from Zoom. We're still learning a lot. Uh, the education is still really good. So, um, yeah, just got to stay positive, man. You know, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. sit back and moan about everything. But I think if that's the mindset, then... You just you're not going to kick on in life. So just mm-hmm. if you can do it now during this this pandemic, <laughs> during lockdown, then um, you'll 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 be good, man. You'll be good. So yeah. So, um, so yeah. just imagine what it'd be like if we didn't have Zoom and all these things. God, I no, think everyone exactly, would be exactly, exactly, man. Losing be, the plot. Yeah, we'd be. Do- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd be- <laughs> yeah, we'd be doing ourselves in, man. How have you been though? All right. Yeah, I've been all right. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Um, I know we've kind of had a couple of discussions about it. But just for context for kind of the audience, Alfie, my cousin, younger cousin, (laughs) just by a couple of years, and and he likes to remind me. But uh, he's definitely the the best footballer in the Kane family. Uh, And if you don't believe me, you can go and check some of his videos out on YouTube where he's showcasing about 50 different skills where for me... 50 kick-ups is, uh, is a big achievement. So that kind of just shows you that, I think. Um, but for the audience and listeners who are just joining, I kind of came about starting this podcast and around talking to guests in and around the sports industry at all levels uh, to discuss the impact of sports and fitness and the impact that that can have on mental health. This idea kind of stemmed from lots of time uh, to reflect and think during lockdown in the crazy world we're currently living in. As Alfie knows, uh, I lost my father nearly six years ago and sports and fitness provided me with a, an amazing outlet uh, and an anchor in terms of something to provide me with positivity through those dark times. So that's kind of where the inspiration came. Um, and then I had to start thinking about some guests. And I thought, who better than my cousin who's absolutely sports obsessed like me? Um, and I know he's got a particular interest in football and boxing. So we're going to kind of talk through his journey in sport, 
uh, what sport means to him. And yeah, I think we're, we're ready to go. But before we get stuck into things, I'm going to start off with a question, uh, which is in keeping with the name of the show, Talking One for the Team. And that question is, what sports team has inspired you the most from any sport or any era and why? Yeah, as you know, well, I'm a Chelsea fan and my dad's a big Chelsea fan. So, um, yeah, I get like Uncle Alf as well, who was sort of involved in my life quite a bit when I was younger. He's a massive Chelsea fan as well. Cousin Charlie is only sort of a year younger. They they started taking me and Charlie to Chelsea games from, from a young age. So I guess, yeah, Chelsea are probably the reason I started playing football. And so in that in that sense, I believe they probably are, in terms of team, yeah, the biggest inspiration to me. Is there a particular era of team that like your fa- um, you think the ultimate Chelsea team that kind of inspired you, the best journey? I think maybe uh, not the most successful, it might not be, but the kind of team that resonated with you the most, I guess. I mean, obviously I think the O four, oh five team were the most successful. And that def- I think that definitely inspired me. I signed to Chelsea Football Club during that season as well. So to be in around in and around that environment whilst that was going on, you know, Roman Abramovich had just taken over. Jose Mourinho had just been appointed as manager. And to see that as a sort of seven, eight-year-old was um, was massive, you know. I think since I, I probably first kicked a ball when I was about two years old, started properly training when I was when I was free, which sounds ridiculous, but uh, I was at, at the Westway. I remember we used to have a couple of training sessions yeah, together. Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 we did. yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day, yeah, man. Uh, I got absolutely nowhere near Chelsea there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, I think Chelsea, and in terms of yeah, if we're talking team, then yeah, that Chelsea team. Okay, and favorite player? Yeah, I was gonna say Gianfranco Zola was Gianfranco Zola. Yeah. He was. He's from a little bit before then, yeah, right? Yeah, just a little bit before them. So in terms, I think he, as a player, he's someone, as an individual, he very, he really inspired me. I had number twenty five on the back of my top with Kane, and I just went every time, you know, every time I'd go down to the West Way, yeah, it was Kane twenty five on the back. And there you so, go. thanks to Gianfranco Zola, and he was very, he was quite a flary player. I thought he was sort of someone that the likes of him and sort of Bergkamp maybe inspired a, inspired a few players. Yeah, I mean, I probably caught, I was a bit young to see like Burkamp at his absolute best. I'm a big yeah. Arsenal fan myself, which is a shame because I kind of relate that time when Chelsea started becoming good, 04, 05, Abramovich's money started coming in. It's kind of yeah. the time when Arsenal were on the way out, really. And we've never really found that form again, still waiting for a league title and uh, currently sitting mid-table. <laughs> but I was sure, in all honesty, I thought you were going to say the Champions League team, 11, I really, 12. Yeah, I, I mean... In terms of... I, and I thought you would have said Frank. I thought you would yeah, have said Frank. I, yeah, I think I just sort of... I think I was just trying to sort of dig a little bit deeper. I, I love Frank. I love him. He was great. He was a great servant to the club. And it's a shame what's happened to him as of recent time. Um, and that was... I think what that Chelsea team did in 2012 was incredible. You know, real underdogs. Shouldn't have beat that Barcelona. Not like I maybe shouldn't have is the wrong word. But, you know... To beat that Barcelona team was a hell of an achievement. And then to go to Bayern Munich's backyard, again, with not the strongest Chelsea team at all, again, was a hell of an achievement, you know. So, yeah, it was in terms of story, I think that was crazy. But, I, yeah, I think just going back to, like, seeing the new Chelsea, like that, that, new, that new generation of Chelsea, the Abramovich era, I guess, and, you know, people will slate it because I guess he's just thrown money at the club. But, it was um, as a youngster to see that it was it made you opened your eyes and just thought made you think like damn that's that's where I want to be that's where I want to be when yeah. I'm older so 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 yeah man I think the thing with the Abramovich money coming into the game um, and coming into Chelsea and I think it just made rival fans envious right I don't think I mean yeah, now I, I, it was probably just a first mover he was just early in into the into the, was, what he knew what sport yeah. was going to become he started it yeah definitely. And then who was who was in Man City were next, yeah. and then yeah other teams. I mean the money in football is ridiculous. You know if you want to win trophies, you need to have you need to have money. You need to have financial backing, like huge financial backing. And yeah, Abramovich started that. So yeah, like you said, I think he was just ahead of his time. So moving on, that kind of takes us into that segue you mentioned about your academy background and 
that Chelsea team of 0405 really being your team that inspired you. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. Tell the listeners kind of your journey in the academy system. Yeah, for sure. So I got spotted by Chelsea. I was playing, we were playing, I was playing a tournament down in Bourne Wood. And yeah, we were playing again. I was playing for the West West Sports Centre, seven side team. And we played against this team called Fandown Lions, who were actually, they were a bunch of ringers. They were the Arsenal development squad. So the Arsenal development yeah. squad took them down. Because Boreham Wood, just Close around by. the corner from that, yeah, where they got the first team play and train. And yeah, so I scored seven goals against them as a, as like six, six and a half years old, seven years old. And these two scouts appeared behind this tree and like tapped my mum in the shoulder and my dad turned around. Looked a bit weird. Sounds like, yeah, sounds a bit creepy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, that's what's going on. They pulled out a card and uh, yeah, two Chelsea scouts. Yeah. And they just asked if that, they asked my dad if that was like his son. He said, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just started from there. So it was about two years. Yeah. So from, yeah, started trialing when I was seven. So I was in the development squad thousands and thousands and thousands of boys um on trial um i trialed for was on trial yeah on the, the development squad for two years and then just before you turn nine obviously over the two years the numbers get smaller and you sort of have to get through different stages and you train in different parts of london and then you end up training at chelsea training ground then they select a squad of 22 and yeah i signed for chelsea at, just before i turned nine uh in that 0405 season which was like, yeah, that was, I remember my dad, my dad took me upstairs and was like, oh, there's a letter for you upstairs and showed me the letter. And yeah, it was just like, it's surreal, you know. That's proud, sort of, proud moment. Yeah, proud moment. Yeah, but yeah, it was, I guess I'd been since sort of like three, four years old. And that, yeah, that becomes your dream. So, you know, to play for the club, play for the club that you support is, yeah. Uh, quite yeah, it's emotion. It's more emotional now thinking of it. Like back mm-hmm, then, mm-hmm. sort of just like, but yeah, uh, just yeah, ecstatic. Now, yeah, yeah, ecstatic. Yeah, you know. I started when I was nine years old. Had an amazing time there. Went on tour. Played played with some amazing players. Some of them playing the Prem now. Um, Which ones? Uh, Olorena plays for Fulham. Um, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham. Yeah, those boys are all at Chelsea. Tomorrow has gone to AC Milan now, but uh, played played with them. Maybe a year below, but we mix and match. Did you know back then? Did you know back then? That I mean, they, you, were, you were young, right? But yeah. did you, was there a clear difference in gap, or was it no, everyone was yeah, no, the same? Not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, man. No, no. There was one player. There was one player who, who came to Chelsea when I was sort of eleven, called Jeremy Boga. He's in Syria now, but um, and he's, yeah, yeah. he's he's the best player I've ever I've ever seen. I've ever played with. He's the best player I've yeah. ever played with. What made him stick out? What was it? Was he just, super skillful? He was, was like, he, it was what, like what? Lionel Messi. He was just like Lionel really? Messi. Like he's just his dribbling was just unbelievable. When he first came, he was like he was he was bigger than a lot of the boys, but that doesn't take away. I, don't, I didn't think that mattered. It did slightly. I mean, Chelsea let me go when I was 12. So I didn't really get to see him when he was 14. But I had Chelsea TV and I'd always still watch Chelsea TV. And I'd see him when he was like sort of 13, 14, playing for like the under-18s. And I, me- I remember he scored like five goals against Liverpool under-18s when he was like sort of 13, 14 years old. And just thought, Jesus Christ, man, like this this kid's a hell of a player. So when he didn't, you know, when I see him, he's not playing for Chelsea now. I'm just like... Sort of, it's a surprised yeah, yeah surprised surprised but I mean I saw him play in the first team a couple of times but when kids are like 19 20 I think they still need a little bit of time um, but yeah, yeah I'm surprised I thought he was going to burst onto the scene I thought he was going to burst onto the scene I think with Chelsea certain, I think Chelsea have been a club over the years who haven't given youth the chance even though their, their youth system has been the most successful they've won numerous uh, youth cups they always seem to dominate that that kind of space yeah. but it I, wasn't really until Frank came in yeah like, and, start of last season where it was kind yeah. of enforced pushed upon him mm-hmm. um, yeah absolutely I think even though he's even though he's been sacked I think he has I think he's changed the philosophy slightly I think that is hopefully but I feel like it will be slightly more ingrained into the club now because we're seeing these youngsters because the Lance is allowed is given these youngsters the opportunities to come through yeah, and they're good players. They're good players. So when managers do come to Chelsea, it sort of, I guess, makes them think before buying players. Oh, actually, do you know what? we've got good players here. Let's let, let, let's look at let's have a look who's who's in the academy. Let's see if we can bring anyone through. Hopefully, I'd like to see it. You know, 
I think a lot of English fans would as well. Yeah, and I think England, you know, we've got a hell of a team now. So uh, the evidence is there. The evidence is there. Um, mm-hmm. The quality is there. So, yeah, I think, you know, we just need to, yeah, we just need to back our... Back our youth a little bit. Yeah, back our youth a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've seen Frank Lampard talking about it when he was a pundit on BT Sport about the academy mm. system. And I think it was it was kind of centred around a book and a film called No Hunger in Paradise, which BT Sport produced um, yeah. by Michael Calvin. And I, I gave that a watch not too long ago. Really good. It, it was it was really, really good and really like okay. strong insight. There's a lot of issues that for me kind of arose from watching that. Some being that, there are kids that are getting scouted at three years of age, getting yeah. taken through near enough all their life up until 18 years of age. And then some of them are being let go and can't it's find another club. With, it's hard to deal with, man. What I'd I, like to know, Alfie, is yeah. with, with your experiences of academy, you was at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. What was what, what came after that? Uh, so I was at Chelsea. Um, they found a subaortic stenosis. I went for medical. You go for medicals because the stature of the club. You have to go for medicals. They're quite you have them quite frequently, and um, so I went for a heart, like you know, a full body checkup. Put the stethoscope, the stethoscope popped on my heart. My heart was going boom, 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 and that sound was a leak. So it sounds like a beat. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a leak. So one of the that there was a artery growing across one of the on the valves at the top of my heart, which was stopping me. I was running out of breath, basically. I couldn't get as much oxygen as everybody else because I had this muscular ridge growing across one of the valves, which I didn't know about. I knew I was running out of breath, but I just kind of thought, maybe I'm just not as fit as the other boys. Like, what's going on? So, you know, going out running with Dad, sprinting up Primrose Hill. So luckily, Chelsea did find this because if they didn't find it, uh, if it if it did get all the way across the valve, the blood would have filled up to the top of the valve and then my heart, my heart would have exploded um, and I would have died. So, yeah, fortunately, they found it. So, yeah, I have to say thanks to them for that. Uh, they sent me to Harley Street and the doctor at Harley Street said I'll never be able to play football again. Uh, so at 12 years old, that you know, that's not what you want to hear as a 12-year-old. Your dream is to be a professional footballer. So that was tough. That was really tough to take. So I went back and, yeah, we obviously had to inform Chelsea. That's what the doctor said. And we were like, we're going to get a second opinion. But fortunately, the fruit stall that my dad had next to your dad's, one of his customers was Professor... Jane Somerville, she's the lead, leader of the British Heart Foundation. So that was just a bit like fate. And my dad told her straight away, and she hooked me up with an operation at Great Ormond Street. And uh, yeah, like the leading heart surgeon in the world, Professor Victor Sang. And uh, yeah, he saved my life, basically. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it took me about... God, the recovery was... In, for, considering what it was I had done, the recovery was probably like four months, which I, you know, it's nothing in real, in real terms, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, which is, you know, I think pretty remarkable. Chelsea let me go after that. Did Chelsea offer any sort of support at the time? Or was it kind of as ruthless as you've got this condition? Or yeah, no. did they help or what? How, what was the process then? They weren't nasty. They weren't nasty. Do you think they could have done so, more? I think it's more, I think it's sort of, there's a lot of politics in football. I think it's deeper than sort of. It's, you know, in terms of the people that actually let me go, I don't think it was in their hands. It's uh, The thing is, I know I'm fine. I go for a checkup every two and a half years. But if I was to collapse, if I was to collapse, even though I, were, even though I won't, mm-hmm. after someone's had surgery like that, unless they think I'm going to be Lionel Messi, which they didn't, I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to be the next Lionel Messi. I think I could have been good. I think it could have been really good. <laughs> but unless they thought I was going to be worth that risk 80 million pounds you know unless they thought i was going to be worth 80 million pounds then yeah but i was i was too much of a risk for them because if i collapsed on a pitch and they're trying to say buy a 12 year old 13 year old from ajax who they think in six years time is going on to be is going to be worth 100 million mm-hmm. but then because I've collapsed, that could block that move because that suddenly those parents or that player could be unhinged by what's happened to a player at, at, at a club like Chelsea. So it's, yeah, it's very political. It's very financial. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's I don't know, you know, it's just, you tough, just have, it's tough, tough, man. Yeah, it's tough. You just sort of, but you only sort of, I only sort of figured that out, man, about probably that three years ago when I was sort of like 20, do you know what I mean? You know, you, 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 you catch yourself on your own and you, your thoughts sort of delve into past periods in your life. 
and you do find yourself thinking like what if you know like actually how how comes this actually did happen so but you know uh, yeah it's tough it's tough but i um look i'm here i'm alive which is the most important thing and i i, I was still, i was still able to play football and so after this i started to my parents started to sort of realize about the politics in football and i went down to qpr i got a trial at qpr and um doing really really well there doing really well there parents i knew like i knew a couple of players down there down speaking to the parents you know the um, local club yeah local club would have been nice to sign for them all the players thought i was going to get signed you know there's always that voice in the back of your head saying you, you you're not going to get signed but i really thought i was going to get signed you know i was training really well i was playing really well but the manager's son played in the same position as me and so after six weeks called me into the dressing room where you have the meeting he said, listen, he's a really, really good player, uh, but he's just not for us. And so, not an arrogant way, but me and my dad quite shocked, sort of just asked a few questions. And he was like, there's nothing to do with his, abil- his ability. We've just got a few players in the same position as him. Uh, and that's when I was like, oh, all right. So, yeah. How old were you then? Was that straight so, after yeah, Chelsea? Yeah, straight after. So, about 13, 12 and a half, 12 and a half, 13. And the, so we said, okay, cool, look, fair enough. It is what it is. Could you could you recommend recommend another club? And they said, listen, Barnet in League Two have got really good things going on. They're opening their academy back up, and we were sort of a bit like, just come from Chelsea, do you know? I'm like, you know, it's a drop. And, and they sort of said, like, look at it like this. He is a really good player. If he goes there now, great. He could be there when he's 13. He'd be the main man there, which I was, which was great. And if he does well, he could get into the first team at 16, 17. And so that sort of made me, me and my dad sort of think, think a little bit, you know, and I thought, actually, do you know what? Get into the first team, 16, 17, everyone will hear about that. And then Nick a move to a bigger club. And um, that's what happened. I did do that, except I didn't Nick a move to a bigger club. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I got into the first team, training with the first team at 15, playing a few preseason games at 16, 17 years old. Played a couple of games against Tottenham. Played really, really well against Tottenham. Tottenham were watching me and were keen on me. And they put in a couple of bids for me. And like Man United and Liverpool put in a couple of bids for other players who were a bit older older than me. And the chairman was turning around to these clubs and asking them for more money. So Jamal Lowe, who's at Swansea now, he's like, like he's, yeah. You know, yeah, I played Good with him plan. at Barnet. His story is unbelievable. They offered, I think it was something like near around the million pound mark. Yeah, right. Jamal Lowe, an 18-year-old at Barnet. Okay, wow. League Two. Haven't got much huge money. Got huge, huge money, money for the club. Huge money for the club. He, want, he asked for more. He asked for more money. And they turned around and said, no, we're not giving you more money. Liverpool asked for near around the million, mount, million pound mark for George Sykes. You know, I'm not sure where he's playing now, but again, there's a good player scoring those goals. He wanted more money. Tottenham put in a bid for me around half a million pound mark. He wanted more money. And it's like... It's a lot of money for a League Two club. And this happened with other players as well. What? Let us greed. go on, man. Let us yeah. go Yeah, greed. You know, just let us go on, man. And then there was compensation. He, he wanted compensation because I, I'd, been, I'd been at the club, wanted compensation because I'd been there since I was 13. And the compensation fee for, for me to get out of the club was about 600, 700 grand. My parents didn't have that money, you know? No, of course not. Of course not. No. So, yeah, it's... It's annoying. So you uh, you just have to be tough. You have to be mentally tough. And they let me go when I was 19 uh, in the end. So they, I, they they let you go at 19 after near, yeah. near transfers to big clubs. Was yeah, there any other interests after that? or the, um, and, and how did you kind of react to that? I was training with the first team and playing with the first team at 18 in my second year as a scholar. And the academy manager had left to go to Arsenal. And a new academy manager came in. Again, didn't fancy. football didn't fancy me for some reason. I was a character. I was a character. And my actors, I hold my hands up and say my attitude wasn't great sometimes, you know. But I was a, I was a young kid. I was fiery, you know. Yeah. yeah, I probably had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Do you think that stemmed from maybe you've been at Chelsea? Maybe yeah, there's just... those feelings of frustration and what mm-hmm. if I've, I've had this heart condition. I've been let go mm-hmm. from my boyhood club, the team I support, and now I'm at Barnet. I think subconsciously. Definitely. But, you know, I had like every trialist that come on trial at, at, at Barnet, you know, was sort of like, you know, come up to me and was like, fuck me. Like, how you like, how, how, how comes you're here? And it just is what it is. And that's not a slight, you know, it's just the thing is, like, it was a good, it was a good academy. We were at, we, we, you know, we were beating good teams. We were beating good teams. Um, we had good players. 
it was just the first team that weren't very good, you know. The academy became appealing to a lot of players because the philosophy, you know, the academy's philosophy, they wanted to play football. And what's appealing is that, you know, if you go down to a lower league club and you do do well, big clubs will come in for you. But what people didn't know was this chairman was going to be asking for more money every time a big club come in, whereas other clubs would have snatched it. So in some ways, I guess it was a bit of a poison chalice. I was playing really well. I was playing some of the best football I'd ever played like as a 17, 18-year-old, you know, and everyone in the 18s knew I was a good player and I knew I was a good player. And, you know, when you're in and out of the first team, whatever club, you're, whatever club you've been at, if you've been in and out of the first team since you were 15 years old, you're going to have maybe a bit of arrogance about you, you know? And I understand maybe you need someone to pull you down a level sometimes, but not the way he did it, man. I don't agree with the way he did it. He came in, I just wasn't for him, and I couldn't work it out, you know. And I went into, I was arguing with him, and I went into his office, and I'd apologise to him, so I want to turn things around. And he just never gave me an opportunity, man. It just completely, it ruined me psychologically. It absolutely ruined me because in my last preseason there, I was in that the first team, and just before the under 18s league started, which I was going to, going to play in. They pulled me down from the first team. I trained with the 18s on a Friday to get ready for the game on the Saturday against Leighton Orient. And he's one of my best mates now. He's quite a big rapper here. He came over and clattered me and I rolled over on Manco. He didn't mean it. It just happens. I got injured. And I was out for about six, seven weeks. And then when I come back from injury, he didn't give me a look in. And I just, it was, I was, I just felt like, oh, fuck me, man. I'm 18 years old. I'm on the brink of like, sort of, I'm going to start playing. I'm probably going to start playing in, 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 in the league now for Barnet, you know. So it's just hard. And also, you know, I just think my mental maturity sort of as an 18, 19-year-old, I couldn't take it. I couldn't hack it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when they let me go, I struggled, man. I struggled. Ended up getting arrested quite a few times because I just sort of didn't. Suddenly you're thrown out into the big wide world and all, like, all, all you've known, all you've been taught is football. You know, yeah. you, you mess around at school because you believe you're morally coddled by the club you're at and you believe you're going to be a professional footballer. And, yeah, you come out into the big bad world and you don't know what you want to do. And so, you know, I'm down Labbert Grove, drinking in the pubs, wanting yeah. to be something I'm not because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, it's yeah. very honest. It's striking to me that I heard a stat that 98% of players who are scholars at pro clubs at 16 have fallen completely out of the game at 21 years of age. And that's yeah. something that happened to you, right? You are yeah. that stat yeah, yeah, yeah. In, re- yeah. in real life. And what I wanted to delve a little bit deeper on is you said you had these issues, you got into trouble with the law, maybe hanging around with the wrong crowd. Do you think clubs have a duty of care after you've been through that club system? And yes, yeah. the rewards are so big and mm. so appealing. Yeah. Um, do the clubs or the PFA, should those organisations be doing more? And if so, what can they be doing to help young people who fall out of football and have dedicated nearly all their life to, yeah. to that sport? I, I, think the PFA, look, I think the PFA tried to do a good job. And, you know, I mean, they're the only ones that tried to actually help you. And they send emails all the time. But, you know, it's, it's, how many Wait, is an email you, enough, Alfie? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you, how many emails do you get yourself that you just, you just don't look at? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, unless it's like... You're gonna, Thomas. You're gonna. We're gonna give you five grand for two weeks for this job. Then you're gonna. Do you know what I mean, you'll have a look at it. You know, or whatever. You know, <laughs> some is. You know, the emails the PFA sent you. They don't exactly like light your eyes up. But I don't want to slag. I don't want to slag them off. Uh, even though I just have. So I apologize for that. I think they should make more of an effort in terms of just trying to put it in the media. You know, like document document more things. You know, obviously there was no hunger in paradise which is great. But there should be more of that. And I think the the PFA have the power to actually, you know, create this kind of content. And I think it's really important that this kind of content is put out there. So, you know, like what you're doing now is great. My friend Jordan Brown, he's doing something similar. And I think it's great. I was speaking to my girlfriend about this the other day. With football clubs, after you finish your GCSEs, you don't get to choose what A-levels you want to do. You have to do a BTEC diploma in sports science. I did not want to do a BTEC diploma in sports science. Even though I'm a personal trainer now, you know, I didn't, that that had nothing to do with that. I just went out of my own way to go and do a six week course to get my personal training qualification. And that that's all I needed. I didn't need to study for two years to do that. Well, I wanted to study. I'm at drama school now. I would have really liked to study some sort of drama medium whilst playing football. And I could have done that. I could have done that twice a week. The same the same way we were going into college twice a week and doing a BTEC diploma in sports science. 
a lot of these kids are into rap, into drill music, into hip hop, probably about 80% of them. Let them twice a week go and do music studies or something. Go and do some follow, follow some, their passion. Yeah, They're follow their passion. What is your passion outside of football? Because you come outside of football, you don't know what the fuck you want to do. Yeah. Whereas I, some people will say, you know, your mentality to get to the top it should be very, you know, very narrow minded and should just don't don't think about anything else. Just think about that one thing and you will get that. And I get that. But the reality of it is not everyone does get there. And I believe if you believe in yourself, you can get there. But to keep yourself sane, to keep yourself mentally well, just have something on the side that just brings you in a bit of income. If it's bringing in yeah. bringing you in a bit of income, then you can focus on that one thing. Yeah, yeah, and the, the uh, happier is... you are, then the, the, the even more you're going to believe in yourself. Yeah, another stat I'm going to chuck at you is 180 out of the 1.5 million youth players in the UK become a Premier League pro, and that's a success rate of 0.012 percent. So, young kids need to have another avenue because for mm-hmm. the vast majority of these kids, Premier League dream is not going to be a reality. So, mm-hmm. I just want to kind of draw things back. I mean. This pod is about how sports and fitness is impacting mental health. And you could say that being so invested in sports and fitness and that chasing that dream can sometimes have negative connotations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those feelings of being let go from a club, you've you've invested a lot of time and relationships you've built and energy. I can kind of relate those. I've got nowhere, no elite sport background, but I absolutely love it. But when I lost dad, it was those feelings of frustration anger resentment they all surface up and i think as as men we find it hard to kind of discuss these feelings and and be open and honest about it this is why i wanted to talk about it sports and fitness for me became really integral to keeping my mental health in check i started training regularly i'd never i'd i dabbled in training here and there in the gym and i'd always played sports but it became a real anchor for me of giving me that structure and that lack of control that my whole life had fallen apart. My, the man I idolised mm. at 19, all of a sudden, I was at my first year of university, it, it died. And it was heartbreaking um, for my family, for me. And it's something that really kind of now I can look back on six, six seven years ago, I guess, is it's kind of like my pillar of strength. It's my defining moment. I wouldn't be the man I am today if I hadn't have been through that experience, as tough as it was, it was a huge learning experience. And it, I just find it similar, this, the kind of emotions and feelings you had after yeah. being let go from a club and that that feeling of loss, mm-hmm. it's the same, it's the same. But for me, that sports and fitness was a real grounding and giving me a structure, yeah. positivity in my life was really important. So I just wanted to kind of touch on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sport disciplines you, you know, it disciplines you. And I think without it, yeah, for a bit, like I, I really resented football. And I, I was still playing, but it was it was winding me up. It was, you know, it was really winding me up. I was really angry. The same way, you know, for me, it's unimaginable the feeling when you lose your father. You, you know, I mm-hmm. can imagine the way you either. Like, I see you on. I see you when we were younger. Do you know what I mean you'd be on that store, be on that store? Do you, do you know what I mean? If it didn't. And it takes a lot to go and help them, considering what they're doing. People think it's just selling fruit and veg, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I started boxing again when I, when I was 19, just because of the, the discipline, the discipline it gives you. And it teaches, you know, you obviously learn to fight. But, I mean, I'd always been down the boxing gym when I was younger anyway, you know. There's a few people in our family that were very, like, top fighters, you know. So, yeah, I enjoy it. But, yeah, something quite militant about it. There's something quite militant about sports in general. It, <laughs> Gives you a very good mentality. I find when I'm down, the best thing to do sometimes, even if I don't want to, is to go to the gym. Of course, it is. Go yeah, hundred you know? percent. I had my sister said something to me the other day. We, we were watching a mental health thing actually on on football with like Thierry Henry, Gareth Southgate, Prince William, and she was like, "Do they get paid so much money for just kicking a ball around?" And I was like, "Yeah, I I I, I, I understand your opinion that they get paid a lot of money." I agree with that, maybe to a certain extent. But I was like, I think it is. I was like, I think it is a bit more than just kicking a ball around, you know. And I was like, well, I did it from three years old to twenty-one, and you know what? I, I didn't get there. And she said, she, she was like, well, you can't have been very good then. Only Back the little in, sister can get away yeah, with those sorts yeah, of comments. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But it affected my whole week, Thomas. It yeah, affected yeah. my whole week, man. 
And I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to affect, but it just, when you have invested so much into someone, you know, yeah. or something, yeah, it cuts you straight down the middle, man. And it's hard to deal with. So, you know, thankfully I've got the gym down in Lubbock Grove and it's been a godsend because, because of lockdown. One of the but few I people just, in the in the country allowed to yeah, go and train yeah, in the gym. Yeah, yeah, lucky, yeah. Lucky bastard. Yeah. You know, it was a good little investment. <laughs> um, what's what's the name of the gym? Just if listeners are interested yeah, in looking at it's, cool, it's called the Lab. It's called the Lab. The lab. Um, Conlon Street. I won't tell you the number in case someone has a problem <laughs> with me, but uh, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find it. Uh, we get the gloves. We get the gloves on. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, yeah, man, it's a godsend. You know, I go in there, just hit the bag, lift the weights, and you feel you feel a million dollars afterwards. You you know, you feel you feel refreshed because there's no time to think about it's anything else. It is escapism, it's escapism. and it's a real good coping mechanism. It's a really yeah, good and, coping mechanism. I mean, participating in sports and fitness is a form of escapism, and watching sports. Uh, like professional sports mm-hmm. on television or going, yeah. obviously we can't go to live games at the moment is a form of escape escapism and what was really like powerful to me and kind of really struck home at the start start of this pandemic and the football went away for six eight weeks or whatever it was the premier league everyone was clamoring to get it back the media yeah. we need to get the we need to get the sport back we need to get the premier league back and it really put like i knew the premier league was big i love mm. arsenal i watched the premier league all the time absolutely obsessed with it you're consuming content about it on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't on the TV, on the radio. You can't get away from it. But it was striking to me that during a global pandemic, the noise around getting it back on TV and getting it back up and going. Yes, obviously the money involved is a reason. The TV broadcasters need to get paid, need to get their value for money. But I like to look at it in a less cynical way and think it offered hope in a time where there was absolutely none. Yeah, so millions absolutely. and millions of people. It brings people together. Mm-hmm. gives some joy i mean god it gives arsenal giving me a lot of bloody stress over the years yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of disappointments but i was gonna say you wouldn't I change guess, it for the world would you Do yeah, you, yeah like yeah. you wouldn't change it for the world i get yeah i guess there's, there's, i mean i know you're still not allowed to socialize in person mm-hmm. but there is a social element of it as well you know you can i know it's not the same and people might go ah shut up but you can get your phone up. You can FaceTime someone, you course, know, and, 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 watch, and watch the game. You've got your group chats and stuff. The banter's back. Yeah, you yeah. mug each other off a little bit. Just <laughs> all that little stuff, you know. It all it all adds up. You know, you can just it just does. a little bit of normality. Yeah, a little, little bit, bit of normality. normality. Exactly. It brings, yeah. Yeah. And we've definitely needed it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask as well about so after your time at the academy, for those who don't know, you were heavily involved in Rising Ballers, yeah, which is yeah, a grassroots football team. They are massive on Instagram, uh, yeah. huge YouTube following. I think they've got like 450,000 uh, followers on Instagram. Really successful from the ground up. You can do a lot better explanation of what Rising Ballers is and how you're involved in that, the social media influence, professional yeah. clubs, their contacts with them, and kind of maybe your exit from Rising Ballers as well. Yeah, man, for sure. So I went off the rails a little bit after Barnet, sat down with Dad, and he was like, look, man, stability's still there. Just got to get the fire back in your belly again. And he thought, go for it, man. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. Wicked. Cool, let's do it. I uh, went and got an agent, and I was at my agent's training session. This guy called Jamie, who runs Rising Ballers, came down. He, he was like, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for players for this to promote on this page that I've got on Instagram called Football Prospect, something like that. And Godfrey introduced me to him and me and Jamie became really tight, became really good friends. So he sort of wanted me to then become kind of like the influencer of his page, the face of the page. And then there was another page called Rising Ballers. Rising Ballers was around and they saw that Jamie's page was really taking off and they got in contact with him and was like, how would you like to merge merge together with us? So scrap Football Prospect. And come on board with us, and we'll go. We'll go three ways. So Jamie and the two Shabani brothers who run Rising Ballers, so they run it together now. And Jamie brought me on board with him and said, you know, I've got this guy called Alfie. He's you know good in front of camera, really good footballer, could help attract attention, you know, and uh, help just build the page. And so yeah, it was working. Yeah, which was great, and it was nice because um, I'd had a tough time with football, you know, sort of for the like last year and a half. So it was just nice to sort of. Be involved with something again that was that was taking off and doing well, 
yeah, new opportunity. I was getting on with the boys, and yeah, it was just like just a. It felt like there was an avenue that was going to open up for me, and I enjoyed my time there. It was fun, and I got on well with Jamie. Really, really, he was a really, really good friend of mine. Was there for about a year and a half, just helping them out. Just for the listeners who don't know, how would you summarise what they do? So they ultimately, they sort of just try and, uh, they promote the next best talent in their eyes, who they think is going to go on to do well. And then they've also got a, they've got a team, Rising Ballers, they've got Rising Ballers sort of academy, maybe that's what you call it. And yeah, if you are looking to try and get back into the system, you know, gain a professional contract somewhere, then that's ultimately yeah what they try and try try and do for you so you know hit them up and they have um, connections with professional clubs i'm pretty sure yeah 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 they do yeah they do they do have connections yeah they do have connections and if they think you're good enough then i'm sure they'll put you try and try their best to put you in contact with these people and yeah it just sort of came to an end really A Mm -hmm. a few things happened towards the end that i sort of didn't agree with and thought it was just time to Time to sort of close that chat, bring that bring that chapter to an end, and and move on. Yeah. From the sounds of it, Alfie, it sounds like the lessons you had learnt from rejection sounds like a harsh word in terms mm. of the yeah, with yeah, yeah, Barnet yeah, and course, stuff. Yeah. But you'd learnt from that rejection and experience. You'd taken it to rising ballers. You'd learnt a lot. You'd met a lot of good people. I imagine made you fall mm-hmm. back in love with football. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it did actually. Yeah, it did. It did. It did. It did. It did. And then. I sort of, that was the last straw for me, I think, with football. I was bitter, man. I was, you know, I was annoyed. I was angry. And I did a, did a podcast quite recently. That I think I'm going to have to get taken down, to be honest, because, um, yeah, still quite angry, man. You know, hard not to be, you know. I remember you at the yeah. time telling me about yeah. it. And I was excited for you. And look, it's a shame that it didn't work out. But mm-hmm. you've now moved your passions into as you said you've got your own gym something that you've you've always been yeah. really really fit and active and amazing personal trainer you've got your boxing kind of set up in there as well i know you've trained people in boxing and you're on to the next thing and i think that's resilience has built up over the years and that's a, that's a credit to you it's taken a while and I want, it's taken a while so just i just just saying that just because you know if there's some young people that do watch this you know it doesn't happen it doesn't happen overnight but it does happen it does happen yeah. And um, I can. You just got to be strong, man. But yeah, I can completely understand that because for me, with dad, nineteen to twenty-six, it's taken that long for me to build up the courage and gain an understanding and an awareness of how that loss and that experience impacted me psychologically, how it impacted my mental health, and how I have to cope with that and manage that. That's not something that ever goes away sometimes those feelings don't go away but you sometimes you have to learn from those experiences and understand i think it just comes down to understanding and giving yourself other avenues this is why i've started a podcast i've had no experience in doing this before mm-hmm. but it's something that i'm passionate about i like sharing my story about my experience with dad yeah and i love sports and fitness i'm trying Again. to tie the two in together and create something that hopefully people are going to find relatable and oh, find yeah. useful for sure and it's nice to talk about these things as well, you know. It's nice. It's quite refre- it's refreshing, you know. And you're a likable character, man. And you, you know, this I've really enjoyed That'll, this. The proof will be in the pudding. How many listeners I get? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the fans decide. The audience decide. Moving on quickly as well. This is kind of like the final topic uh, I want to kind of discuss. You've mentioned about your strong passion for boxing, and I'm a big fan of the sport. Never really done it uh, before. But in our family, we've had, we've had, as you mentioned earlier, we've had yeah. um, professional fighters and stuff as well. So mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Dell Youth and yeah. ultimately Grenfell. You trained at Dell Youth and for the listeners who don't know, Dell Youth is a boxing club, very well renowned in the sport. World champion boxers, James DeGale, George Groves, I think Daniel Dubois, he's not a world champ, but he's, he's trained there as well, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really like illustrious and well renowned in the sport. Mm-hmm. And that was situated... Quite literally underneath. It sat yeah, underneath Grenfell yeah. Tower, didn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And we all know yeah. the tragedy that happened in June of 2017 when tragically 72 people lost their life. And I mean, we've been talking about anger and resentment. That's something that is still, there's a real underbelly of that in the local area because that justice for those families hasn't been found. 
Dale Youth has now moved as well. They, you've moved. Where did you say they've moved to again? Uh, it's just kind of on St Mark's Road. In the local area. Yeah, in the local area. Grenfell FC has been set up in, in honour as well, which is a mm-hmm. grassroots football club. Do you know a couple of people who, have, who are involved in that as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Rupert, who, who's involved, who's, I think, yeah, like helps, yeah, helps set it up. Like he's, at the, he's at the head of it. And what they're doing is wicked. I went down there for a bit. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind, man. I was just all over the place. It was a shame because what they're doing is... It's amazing, right? It's amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Offering young people an opportunity to play for a club which is so dear and and Mm. in the hearts of everyone, I think probably nationwide, right? Not just in the local area, but there's a special Mm -hmm. feeling in this area Mm-hmm. It's of nice that to injustice, just, you know. Again, but it's it's nice to have that memory and something that they get, yeah, yeah, a good sure, positive you know. thing from it, you know. Mm-hmm. And just um, you know, there's there's people on the team that you know survived the fire. People on the team that had family in the fire. You know, we you know if you're from the area, we all knew people in the building. You know, yeah, so exactly. again, it's just nice to. It's amazing to just bring it. You know, eleven people together. A squad of sixteen together and go and represent them. Represent them, man. They're gonna play for. And remember, them, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. And, remember, never. It doesn't and, ever. You, you never forget about it. So, no, I, yeah. I mean, for me, it's another example of our sport brings people together through the toughest of times. And that day is something that I mean, I even get goosebumps now thinking about it. I I have vivid recollections of that morning and that afternoon, and I've never seen anything. In terms of an area, I mean, we live in Carnival, but that's people from all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen an area like come together in such a way. There were people yeah. helping everyone. I remember going up to the local co-op, buying food and water to yeah, give yeah. to families who had been left mm-hmm. homeless and yeah. people still trapped in the building. I mean, it was it was honestly like something out of a movie and trying to describe it to people who they might have seen it on a yeah. TV screen or they might. It was like nothing, uh, uh, and I hope nothing yeah. I'm ever going to experience again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum works in the primary school, my primary school, St. Francis. Yeah. Which is, they had they had kids whose family were in there, and the impact on those young people, seeing that building go up in flames, I think is just, it's just it's a tragedy. There's no other way to put it. It's man. It's, uh, you yeah. know, just, like you said, it's, so, it's hard to talk about, man. It is. It's, it's really, really touchy. Hard. It's just, but it's important that people talk about it. it I think is. it's important oh, yeah, you're that right. people talk it, about it, it. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, definitely, absolutely. And on that so. topic of, I mean, I know we kind of touched on the Dell Youth um, and your boxing background as well. Obviously, the heavyweight champion in the world, Tyson Fury, or one of them. Yeah. Huge in the mental health yeah, arena absolutely. for men's mental health, and what an inspirational story he's had. And I know it touched me when through his journey and I can't wait for the big fight which is I hope it's going to be this year I really hope it's going to be this year I've got my prediction but I'll let you go first who's going to win the big um, one I think Fury's going to knock him out in round one yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the headline people that's it <laughs> um, I think Fury's going to do him on points yeah I'll just go with that. I think Fury's going to do him on points. I think Fury's the better fighter. I agree that Fury will win. I don't know if he'll do him points or maybe a late stoppage. But AJ is the only fighter out there for me who could beat Fury. I think AJ is the only one with a chance. And I can't wait to see it. That for oh, me is wait. that for me is probably the biggest sporting event in our in our lifetime. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those events which transcends sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. general public speaking about it. It's like you get your you get your mum and like my girlfriend, AJ and Fury when they fight in and all this. It just transcends everything. Um, I'm just saying, I'm excited. To, it's just this ah gives it get, gives me butterflies. Yeah, yeah. It gets, I'm so excited for it, man. Makes me shudder. You know? Yes, I can't. <laughs> we're do, we're doing a good job for them to promote it. Maybe we should hit them up. Try yeah, we some, should. Uh, <laughs> try, try and get that. on the world tour. Try and get on the world tour. Um, yeah. But coming to the end of the pod now, I just want to say, like, obviously, thank you very much for being so open and honest. I've got a little section at the end, which 
I'd like you to answer a, a question. It's a hypothetical situation and it's called How Sports Saved My Life. And that is a section that I've come up with just to, I guess it's quite true. It could, it's partly true that sport and fitness has helped me through my darkest times. So I come up with a hypothetical situation and I want you to answer it. So here we go. Alfie, if you were stuck on a desert island with one sports person for a month before you could get rescued, who would you take and why? Okay. So I'm on there for a month before I can get rescued. Yeah. And you've got absolutely nothing with you. You've got no, like, you, you've just got you and this sports person and you've got to make it for a month. Um, I think... Do they have to be alive? No. no. I've not considered okay. it, but you can do a live okay. or dead, I guess, yeah. That's fine. I think I'd take Muhammad Ali. Okay. What's the rationale? Tell me. I just think, you know, he didn't just box, you know, he didn't, I mean, I mean, he literally, I mean. He's boxing. He, he fought and like, yeah, he literally fought, but I mean. He fought for what was right, you know. He fought for what he believed in. He went to jail and arguably we, I mean, I didn't see it, but arguably people missed the prime years of his life as a boxer because he went to jail because he didn't believe in going to Vietnam to fight, you know, and yet still came out of there. I just think, you know, he had a lot of things. Thrown at him. He was resilient. Thrown at him. Plus he was, he was black as well in the 60s, you know. A black man to become the heavyweight champion of the world at 22 years old. Change his name to Muhammad Ali. People would have absolutely, he would have been getting scrutinized from left, right and center because of that during Mm -hmm. during that time. And then to go to jail and then come back out and regain the heavyweight championship of the world. And then to go and, you know, know, the odds were stacked against him when he fought Foreman. He, He beat Foreman. He then went and had the trilogy with Joe Frazier. I just think his mentality... His mentality is what I'd is what I'd want, and if I was stuck on a desert island, I'd want to be with Ali. You know what? I don't think there's a better way to end the show. I didn't think you were going to go with Ali. I thought I don't know. I thought you were going to go for AJ. That's who the girlfriend think, went for. Yeah. But I said he's a big lump. Yeah. He's going to need a lot of calories on, yeah, on that yeah, island, yeah. so he <laughs> might end up eating you. But yeah, great answer. <laughs> I really enjoyed spending this time with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, any last parting words? Uh, I just want to say thanks so much for having me really thoroughly enjoyed it it's been nice to talk talk to you nice to see someone during these times um and yeah just keep doing it man it was wicked it was wicked it's a good message that you're trying to put out there so now thanks cuz nice one see you after nice that man bye bye Podcast Network.